March Madness 365 with Andy Katz is presented by Grammarly. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that gives your team an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. Grammarly works seamlessly across 500,000 apps and websites. Get personalized on-brand writing help everywhere your team works. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz from NCAA.com and March Madness. And on this edition of our podcast, I've got two head coaches for you. Good conversations with both. First off, Houston's Kelvin Sampson, who had a great season. They were top of the American Athletic Conference. He's had a great run at Houston, sort of a rebirth of his career. Could have gone somewhere else here in this offseason. Chose to stay put at Houston. He will tell you why. Seton Hall's Kevin Willard continues to get Seton Hall into the NCAA tournament. Once again, he could have been a candidate for other jobs, decided to stay put at Seton Hall, a destination, and he will tell you why he chose that. We'll discuss Miles Powell and how they're handling his decision, whether or not he will stay in the NBA draft. Before we get to that, a couple of house cleaning items for you. Later this week, the rules committee that... uh, Deals with the rules of college basketball for Division One, Two, II, and Three. Uh, they are meeting later this week. On the docket is whether or not to move that three-point line to the international distance. We'll see if they adopt that. My gut is that they probably will because there's been a lot of discussion about that. Um, I think all the coaches want to go in that direction, have uniformity uh, with the international game. I don't think, and we're going to talk to Kelvin Sampson and Kevin Willard about this, there's any push to extend it out to the NBA line. They don't want to go that far. But clearly, the three-point shot should have some uniformity with the international game because so many of these college players now are playing internationally. So there should be uniformity in that. I don't think you're going to see the four quarters uh, that you see in the women's game, also uh, in the NBA. Maybe they're not ready to do that. Maybe at some point they will. Uh, I know that there are, there's definitely some support for it. We'll see if that occurs, but I don't think you're going to see the men's game go to four quarters yet. Will it happen at some point? Possibly. We've seen it be used as an experimental rule. So that's all happening later this week. There are coaches' meetings at conference meetings uh, over the next over the next really couple weeks in the month of May. You're going to hear about. Some scheduling opportunities, more matchups will be revealed for some of these challenges that haven't already. A lot of that's going on. A couple other things, though, I just want to address really quickly before we get to our guests. First of all, can't, you know, put our head in the sand. We know what's going on in New York with the FBI trial. Let's wait and see what happens at the end of that. Let's wait and see the whole process. Uh, I think it's 
really naive to judge what the NCAA will do in terms of its for- enforcement decision because the case has not even gotten to the enforcement di- di- uh, division yet in in a formal uh, decision time frame. Over the last, you know, you could go decades back, consistently the NCAA has waited for any legal case, regardless of school, to finish before going through the adjudication process of the NCAA. So that is sort of par for the course. That's number one. Number two, um, here's what really bothers me, and I have to get this off my chest. A, no one is going to skate completely free. I don't know what's going to happen. No one knows what's going to happen. Okay, if you do, you don't. So something could happen with any of these head coaches whose assistants are involved in all this, okay? At the very least, we have seen teeth put into the coach control rule. So not that this is any kind of panacea, but there will be something that happens in terms of a game suspension. At the very least, we have seen it. High profile, Hall of Fame coaches have had to sit anywhere from one to nine games. That will happen at the very least, okay? Something will happen. So don't think that nothing will happen. Thirdly, you have to deal with contracts, okay? You cannot indiscriminately get rid of people. So regardless of what your opinion may be on any sides of these issues, you still need to deal with the contracts and the majority of contracts deal with cause. And until you get to that stage, universities clearly want to wait to see what happens because if they fire someone without cause, they're on the hook for the money. And all these schools are strapped in some form. So that's why there is a waiting game. And what does that do? Well, it puts a cloud over whether you're innocent or guilty, it still puts a cloud over. Because you can't put that coach out there the way all these other coaches, you know, whether it's a booster function, golf tournament, uh, you know, if you want your coach to throw out the first pitch at an event, attend other sporting events, because you then put your coach who you don't know what's going to happen with in the public space where they can get asked questions And from a PR perspective, I would be surprised if they would do that. And so these coaches, unfortunately, uh, especially if they ended up being, you know, innocent of any of these uh, allegations, uh, they're sort of tucked away and hidden. If they are guilty of these allegations, then until those are proven, it's probably good for the university to tuck them away. But who gets hurt in all this? A lot of times it's the student athletes because of the ability to promote them you know, appropriately doesn't happen. Um, If you've got a big time class, you may not want to put that class out there because they could be the asked questions about this. This happens. I don't, I mean, regardless of this case, this happens all the time where if there's an issue, you're going to be a little reluctant to put your players, your coach, who could be the face of the university out there until things calm down. So 
We got it. We're a very impatient society, but we're going to have to wait. Another point, transfers. It is an epidemic, okay? Quick fix. Things aren't going well. Got to leave. Move on. Look, everyone has a right to do it. You go for the coach most of the time, not the school. So if things don't work out, people want to leave. The grad transfer has been very beneficial to a lot of high majors. But let's also not dismiss that a lot of the mid to low get really hurt by it. There's no question. So these schools that are in a lower level, really, it's a, it's a real chore to get to that junior, senior year to have your whole team intact. And when we see some of these upsets in the NCAA tournament, when we see some of these schools go on these runs, like we just saw with Wofford, you know, when they beat Seton Hall and they're holding on to a guy like Fletcher McGee or Mike Dome, who did not leave South Dakota State, but could have, has an unbelievable career there. Now, they didn't advance deep, but he easily could have left. You know, the fact that the Loyola Chicago kids stayed the year before and they get to the Final Four. That's going to be more rare because it's going to be harder and harder to keep those players intact uh, without the lure of either transferring up as you're an upperclassman or as a grad transfer. And I don't fault them for trying to better, you know, their state and get on a higher stage. I mean, Matt Mooney is a great example, Air Force, South Dakota. He had the ride of his life helping Texas Tech to get to the national championship game. He was a huge factor in that. They don't get there without him. So he's got memories for the rest of his life. He's going to be a tremendous figure in Lubbock for a long time. I think that's great. But let's also give some, you know, I, I think the coaches at that lower level or in the one mid leagues, you're going to have to be more patient with them because it's going to be harder and harder for them to do that. Lastly, the summer NCAA College Basketball Academy, okay, for high school rising sophomores, rising juniors, rising seniors, up to 2,400, four locations, stores Connecticut, campus of UConn, University of Houston, Grand Canyon, Phoenix, and University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana, okay? 300 kids, first three days, 300 kids, second set of days, so 600 per site. Hopefully, all those that want to, to be invited registered through the NCAA Eligibility Center. The deadline was this past Sunday, May 5th. What I hope is not happening is I hope that summer league coaches are not telling their kids not to sign up. I hope that is not occurring. I hope that selfish behavior is not occurring because the only person you're hurting with that is the kid, the student athlete, who that particular week, and it is one week, would not be seen by college coaches because that's the only week, July 22nd, that week of July 22nd, that they can be seen by college coaches unless they're in the USA basketball mini camp that's going on at the same time. Otherwise, that week, they're not going to be seen. So if anyone is thinking selfishly, oh, I'm going to tell this kid not to show up because I don't want this to be a success uh, because I want to charge money uh, on my book and make money da, 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 and be in Vegas. Well, guess what? The only person you are hurting is your own player. So I hope coaches are not being selfish and doing that.
I'm old enough to remember when we had Five Star when I was a kid, okay? I'm old enough to remember when ABCD Camp in New Jersey, Sonny Vaccaro, who's the sort of the godfather of a lot of this, had a camp with drills, then they had games. I saw Lenny Cook, LeBron, all these guys come through there. And it worked out fine. And then we had everything that sort of blossomed out of there. And things obviously are across the country booming in very different ways. And I'm not saying we need to go back. But let's not fool ourselves to think that having one camp that is like this is not the end of the world. Everything is going to be fine. Okay? So let's settle down and do not try to tell your kid not to do this. I hope that is not going on. That's my soapbox moment for this week's podcast. Want to get to these interviews. I think you'll enjoy them. Hearing from Kelvin, hearing from Kevin. Let's go to Kelvin first. And joining me now here on March Madness 365, Houston head coach Kelvin Sampson. And Kelvin, you guys have had quite a run with this core group over the last couple of years. Uh, Before we move on to what's ahead, uh, put in perspective for me what this buildup has meant to you and everything that that core group accomplished over the last two seasons. I think it starts with, um, you know, uh, Galen Robinson's freshman uh, class. Rob Gray came in with him during that time. Damian Dotson transferred. We we had some key pieces uh, just come and, and, and believe in something they couldn't see. You know, sometimes you have a vision, but you can see your vision. You know, if you close your eyes and, and, and focus on that darkness in the back of those eyelids long enough and, and think it, you can see it. But getting someone else to see it is just blind faith. You know, he believed in it. And, and all those kids did. We didn't have a practice facility. We didn't have a really an arena. You know, we just sold those kids on um, believing in something, something bigger than themselves. And, um, and we had some help from their coaches and their family members about uh, what, what we could accomplish here. Um, but that's where it starts. You know, you, you start from ground zero and you, you build, you build, you build. The staff we've had has been incredible. These guys are hard workers, man. I have, I'm just so blessed to have the staff I have. Uh, sometimes you just get lucky. And our work ethic from the top down has, has been uh, tremendous. The kids feed off that. I think our culture is uh, has been permeated throughout everything we do here, whether it's in the training room, nutrition area, strength area, uh, video, administration. Uh, everything we do is built around our effort and our attitude. So, but I, I could see it coming a little bit, uh, Andy. Uh, the first year I thought was great, not from a win-loss record. I, I didn't. That didn't matter to me. It was uh, weeding out and getting the, the the right kids that believe. I think we finished the year with seven kids on scholarship, but those kids played hard, man. They believed. Then the next year we go twenty. I think twenty-two, twenty-one. And then we had the breakthrough. You know, at some point you got to break through. You can keep banging on the door, but at some point you got to knock it down. And uh, so that 2017-18 team, they, they just got better and better and better. And 
And then until that shot the kid from uh, Michigan hit, uh, you know, they believed they were going to win every game they played, and they could. And then I think that fed into this year's team, and we've we've had great senior leadership, great player leadership, and all those things. You throw them in the uh, crock pot, and you, something good usually happens. So look, Calvin, Houston as as good as it has become, the facilities obviously have improved dramatically. There's money coming in. No one would have faulted you if you left for an SEC or, you know, somewhere else or even back to the NBA because you've done tremendous things there. So why'd you stay? I'm happy here. You know, I've been to this end of the year job game, silly season for a long time, Andy. I remember my uh, second last year at Washington State, I think I was 35 or 36. The athletic director from Cal Irvine came and talked to me in between the USC and UCLA game and wanted to hire me to leave Washington State to go to Cal Irvine. And I'm 63 now. And I don't think there's a year gone by since I've been in college that that, that, that hasn't happened at some level. But, you know, when you get to be 63, you know, I just, I just want to fight here. I just I want to keep fighting here. You know, I don't, uh, uh, it appealed to me, uh, to go to, um, another place. Maybe it did appeal to me because there, those are, those are great jobs, great people, great tradition. But, you know, this is kind of our baby now, you know, we, we've kind of nurtured this thing and well, really as a family, if people don't know, I mean, your son yeah. Collins on the staff, yeah, you know your daughter Lauren is is yeah. in, involved as anyone, and and your wife Karen is there. I mean, like it really is. Yeah, grandkids yeah. now. I mean, it is a family project, right? No, and that's exactly right. And and that's and that was a huge, huge factor. You know, um, we're you know we're happy here. There, there's no perfect job. We fight battles here uh, every day. There's some things that we still got to work to get better at. But uh, you, you're, work, you're working with people that you care about. You know, two of my assistant coaches are Hollis Price and Qantas White. That was my starting backcourt at Oklahoma when we went to the Final Four. Uh, Kellen, Kellen, who I think is going to be uh, really good, uh, head coach uh, one day, uh, probably sooner rather than later. Uh, Lauren has been uh, – I was talking to some coaches on the road recently, and they're all asking me questions about my staff structure. And I said, you know what? One of the best things I've done is hire a non-coach in one of our uh, uh, positions. Uh, and that was my daughter, Lauren. You know, she keeps us relevant 12 months a year. Her social media, d- uh, graphic design work, how she gets our kids involved in the community, uh, whether it's in children's hospital or or reading to, uh, to the third ward uh, elementary schools or going to uh, help uh, homeless shelters. I mean, we're always doing something, but she's the one that creates that. She doesn't, she doesn't care about X's and O's and, you know, who we recruit. She just focuses on, on making our program better in her area. So we, we've got a good thing going here and I just didn't want to, I didn't want to break it up. I want to, I want to make it better. So look, I don't want to rehash the past, but I will say this, you did a tremendous job of, you know, stepping away from college and then coming back in your stint in the NBA. Uh, how confident were you when you were in the NBA that you would make it back to college at a situation like this and be successful? Being very candid, 
I didn't want to come back to college. I, I really never thought about coming back to college. I knew I would always have the chance because of the... Uh, you mean because of the way it ended or, or how? More so that I love the NBA. You know, if you've never been in the NBA and know how it works and the amount of coaching that goes on every day with those staffs, I learned so much from Scott Skiles, man. That, that dude is unbelievable. He's, uh, I, I didn't know what I didn't know. Uh, until I got there, I just felt like I was growing and growing so much as a coach. And I was interviewing for head coaching jobs. And, but I was getting feelers, third party people, fourth party people said, Hey, so and so and so's probably going to make a change. They want to know if you'd be interested. So I always knew that the, the college thing was there, but uh, I was bound and determined to be a head coach in the NBA. That was, that was the last thing I had on my bucket list. Uh, if I never went back to college, uh, Andy, I, I, I had had a, uh, a blessed career and been able to coach so many great kids and, and have great relationships with them. That, that was enough for me. So I, I, there was nothing missing there. I, I wanted to stay in the NBA. Uh, this roster, let's just segue to that. You've had a lot of veteran guys. I know. I think pretty sure you're going on a summer trip this summer, right? Yeah, we're going to uh, Rome, uh, Florence, and um, – Venice. So as it stands now, what's your optimism, optimistic level right now of what your roster, as you, as you anticipate it will be uh, for next season and really for that trip? I, I, think, I think we're going to be pretty good. You know, our backcourt, solid. Dejan Giroux, Armani Brooks, Nate Hinton. Uh, we have a really good freshman from uh, North Carolina, Caleb Mills, uh, sitting out. We signed a really good guard, uh, Marcus Sasser. Uh, you mean the Texas guard. Tech Sasser? Yeah, okay. yeah, his his uh, nephew, tough kid. I, I like our backcourt. Our uh, strength of our team, I think, will be our front court. Uh, Fabian White's back. Uh, Bryson Gresham's back. Chris Harris back. Uh, we set out a, a kid that I really like, uh, Justin Gorm. Will probably be the truest stretch four we've had since we've been here. Kid that transferred from Towson State, and then uh, we have a, another. Freshman coming in, J1 Roberts. He's about 6'8", 215, quick twitch, high-level, high-level athlete. So, you know, we, we've got good pieces. You know, I think this trip, the practices leading up to it will be good for us. Any games that you know uh, that are new on the schedule that you've scheduled? Well, we have uh, return at Oregon. Uh, BYU, BYU comes to our place. Oklahoma State comes to uh, our place. Uh, we're in the Diamond Head Classic in Hawaii. That's three games. Uh, we have a game at Rice, uh, and then the uh, we're in the we're in the SCC AAC Challenge. Yeah, and then we've got um, well, there's a couple of things I could break right now that's that's been agreed upon. I just don't have. We just haven't finished the uh, uh, the contract, but I'm excited about it. Well, we we're more than happy to share that if you want. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I better, I better not. There'd be, there'd be no better place to do it than right here. That's for. Uh, <laughs> Since we are the NCA sure. March Madness, so we'll just say, well, let's just say there's a there's a huge preseason term. A lot of people would love to be in that uh, Houston's going to be part of. Okay, good to know. Last one, good morsel there. Later this week, rules committee is meeting, and there's a good chance they're going to extend the three point line to the international distance. Not. You know, we got they got to vote on it, but if that does happen, uh, how will that affect the college game? None. It should be. That, I mean, we should have adopted the FIBA rules a long time ago. You know, look how long it took us to put the forty-five second shot clock in, and now look at it. 
Look how long it took us to go from 45 to 35 and then from 35 to 30. You know, uh, to me, the cleanest game that there has been in basketball is the international game. You know, I'm not a big fan of the uh, trapezoid lane. Uh, I don't think they even have that anymore, do they? No, but th- I don't think they're going to do that. I think it's just going to be the line. Yeah. Uh, I-, I think they're going to leave the lane. Yeah, and, and, and it should stay there. I-, I You know, we don't need the NBA line. But the other, the other line, not that it's too close, but these kids today – their range is so much better than it was 10 years ago. Right. Um, you know, they're, you know, Armani Brooks and Corey uh, made a lot of shots at the NBA line. Guys in our league, we had so many great shooters in our conference that they're five feet behind that line a lot of times. So, but the international line is good. And I applaud uh, the rules committee for constantly looking for ways to, to change because we, we need to change. I, I, I wish that we would, uh, take out that ridiculous rule where you can't move it up, you know, at the end of the game. Right, I, wish right. we could, I wish we could move it up. And if, if they don't want to do it in the last two minutes, do it in the last minute. You know, it's just, there's just no 94 foot plays that will work. Right. Unless, unless somebody gets lucky, you know, but I think it, it creates a lot of uh, intrigue, a lot of excitement uh, for the fans. It, it adds a lot of strategy. And then I, I'd also like to see us go to the four quarters, four 10-minute quarters versus two 20-minute halves. Right, I mean, just those, like the women. Yeah, and, uh, and, do the, and redo the fouls uh, every quarter. I think those are all things for it. You know, ten, if we were to do that next year, 10 years from now, it would be part of our fiber, and nobody would even remember the, the 22nd halves. <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a matter of jumping in the deep end, you know, getting your – And by the way, TV might be on board in that because you'd have more breaks. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I'm I'm surprised they're not sitting in those committee meetings anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Calvin, I appreciate you taking some time as always. Thank you. Okay, Andy. Good good being on with you, and appreciate everything you do for college basketball. And up next here on March Madness 365, Kevin Willard of Seton Hall. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Seton Hall head coach Kevin Willard and uh, the Pirates. One of only 13 programs in Division One that has gone to the last uh, four NCAA tournaments. Um, it's quite a feat to say basically where this program was to where it is now. Uh, another outstanding season, and uh, we'll hope that uh, this will continue. We'll talk about the roster here in a moment. But Kevin, when you put in perspective where you at right where, where you are right now in this program, uh, wh- what does that make you think about to where it was when you get, when you got there? Yeah, I mean, I think it's something, um, you know, when I first took over the job, I really, you know, my goal was to be consistent year in, year out, get to the point where, um, you know, our guys are graduating, our guys are doing the right thing, and uh, and then also winning winning games. And, you know, I'm, I'm really, really excited of where we are as a program, how far we've come. I uh, just have great young men on, on the roster uh, representing us, and, you know, when you look at the schools that we're next to over the last four years that we've been competing with, it's it's a pretty good list to be accompanied with. You know, this past season was very interesting because you guys had some tremendous wins early in the season. And then there was that natural dip because there were some younger spots on this roster. Uh, when you look back at this past season, especially, and I, I did a bunch of your games, as you know, do you feel like this schedule played out the way you had hoped in terms of giving you opportunities to be in position to get that bid in the end? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, 
you know, we we were really aggressive with our with our non-conference schedule, and you know, it was something that I, I needed to test this group because they were they were all all very good players, but none of them have really been in the fire, and I wanted them uh, not to go into the Big East conference schedule not tested. And obviously, the win against Kentucky in the Garden, um, the you know, win at Maryland, I thought was huge. Um, just gave us a lot of confidence that when things weren't going to go right, because with a young group, it never goes perfect. But at least, you know, we can go back and watch film and, and just kind of remind our guys what we had done. And uh, the schedule really turned out to be really help us in our favor. So Miles Powell, uh, like it feels like everyone else on the planet, is declared <laughs> for the draft. <laughs> uh, how are you handling sort of the guidance aspect of this? Uh, over the next couple of weeks as you wait to see what he decides to do? Well, you know, I think it's no matter what, what happens with Miles, you know, I think the new rules are, I think, really helps young men like him. You know, guys that had great years, you know, but now they get direct feedback straight from the NBA guys. You know, it's not an agent saying something. It's not a college coach saying, oh, you should come back. Really, what they, what the NBA has done, and they've done a very good job with the education process is, they're telling you really much straight from their mouths what's going to happen and uh, what you need to work on, what improvements they'd like to see, things that they like and that you can build on. So I think going through this process, obviously, it puts your roster in a little bit of flux, but at the same time, you know, kids are getting great information and, you know, straight from the horse's mouth. So I think it's a, it's a good process. How much have you guys been communicating during this? Oh, every day, every day, you know, I mean, we're still, we're still in school, so you know, the rules, you know, he can't miss class, uh, had, had a couple workouts this weekend. Um, you know, but he's back on campus now and, you know, he's working out, he looks great and he's, he's excited about going through this process. You know, it's funny you say that because I, I talked to Mark Turgeon about this. I remember a year ago when, you know, he was going through this and, you know, Kevin Herter was a player that clearly was getting, you know, top 20 looks but he kept Mark in the loop. They worked out, and, he, and Mark actually worked them out. And then Bruno Fernando, same deal, but he was told basically, look, you're not in the first round. And it was amazing they actually listened. Uh, it's great when the coach can be that involved. How, how would you sort of gauge your relationship with Miles where you can be literally that hands-on, where he trusts you and, and won't think that you're just looking at for, for your own advantage? Well, I, yeah, I, th- I think that at, at, at this stage, you know, Miles has been with me almost four years technically. I mean – he knows I want what's best for him. And I think the biggest thing is, you know, we've built that trust over the years of working, you know, working on his game and working on every aspect of his life. So um, he knows at the end of the day, I just want what's best for him. And if we can get him in the NBA and get him a contract, that's going to be phenomenal for him, phenomenal for his family. Uh, and if it's not his time, then he knows he's going to come back and he's going to be one of the best players in college basketball and have a chance to, break a whole lot of records so he's in pretty good he's in a pretty good position and i think the biggest thing is just making sure that the decision is an educated decision it can't be one of emotion um and i think that's the biggest thing i've been trying to talk to him about is that this is not an emotional decision this has to be an educated decision mark few the gonzaga head coach and i were talking uh yesterday about this uh, on sunday that um it's hard to do workouts right now for a lot of these schools because so many guys have declared some, you know, on the fence. How has that been for you guys in terms of actually having workouts? It doesn't sound like that's been as big a problem for you, but how has that worked out? No, I mean, our, our workouts have been great. Um, you know, when when you have technically all underclassmen and a senior, and then you have, you know, you have a, a huge roster, improve, you know, addition and 
and Ike coming in next year, um, workouts have been fun. The guys are really excited about uh, the opportunity that lies ahead. You know, we're, we're really going to test ourselves again with the schedule, but workouts have been fun. They've been upbeat, uh, coming off a great season where I was really, really impressed with everyone that, that played. I really like where our attitude is going into the summer. Let's delve into the roster and the schedule. And I know this summer you're going to take a foreign trip, which uh, will really help you whether Miles comes back or not. Obviously, those always do in terms of bonding. I think you're going to Italy. Is that right? Yeah, we're going to Italy. Looking forward to it. You know, I think it's a great cultural experience for these guys. Um, it's a great time in the summer to kind of practice in a very relaxed atmosphere and and kind of see with, you know, adding a couple guys and more guys getting time to kind of just tweak what you need to do going into the year. So in terms of the roster, uh, where does it stand right now? Uh, all things being equal, if everyone comes back, that should. Uh, how will it shake out in terms of uh, your rotation at, at this juncture? Well, I mean, I think that's that's the exciting thing about this team. And, you know, the roster is, you know, when I look at the roster, I look at everybody and, you know, there's not one guy that I don't have confidence that to put in a game right now. And, you know, Romero Gill last year was a junior college player, didn't, hadn't, hadn't played Division One. I. I looked at his improvement throughout the year. I'm excited about his year next year. And, I, you know, Sandro and Miles Kale, my two sophomores who started every game, you know, I think you're going to see two players that really blossom into excellent players as they go into their junior year just because I think they, they understand what's in front of them now. They understand what they need to do this summer. You know, and then obviously Miles Powell and, and Quincy McKnight, you know, the guards, you know, I, I just, we have a lot of options and a lot of, uh, we have a lot of depth that I like about this basketball team. If Miles stays in, who's your big shot maker? Uh, well, that's something, you know, I think that's, it's kind of like this year. Obviously I knew Miles would be, but if Miles stays in the draft, you know, I, I'm going to have to look at, uh, I think Quincy McKnight's a guy that could score the basketball more than he did last year. Um, I think he did a great job of kind of deferring, to Miles at the right times and, and getting him shots. But uh, I have a lot of confidence that if I had to move Quincy over to a two-guard spot with Anthony Nelson r- running the point, you know, I think would still be really, really good. And the schedule, you mentioned that. Uh, what ads do you have on there? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, obviously we're, we're in the battle for Atlantis. Uh, Loaded. You know, pl- yeah, playing at Iowa State in the Big Ten, Big 12, Big East Challenge. Um, haven't found out who we're playing in the Big Ten yet, but then, we're at Rutgers, uh, Maryland home, at St. Louis. So, I mean, you throw in the Big, the big Ten, Big East matchup with Iowa State, you know, it, it, it's a loaded schedule again. Kevin, I, you know, we talk about this, I know, this season about hopefully uh new facility, all those kinds of things. It, it really is amazing that, that Seton Hall, over your tenure, has become a destination job. How, how did it happen? Well, I, th- I think it's one of those places where I, I work for really good people. Uh, my athletic director, Pat Lyons, is, you know, is one of the best in the business. And I've been lucky that no football school has realized how good he is and, and, and taken him from us. And I just think Seton Hall, is in, as an institution, um, everyone on campus, it really is a family feeling. They, they want my kids to be successful. They want the program to be successful. Um, you know, it's just the, the support that I've gotten uh, from Pat Lyons, um, from the board, has just been phenomenal. I think that's been able for us to grow this program to something that's, that's really continuing to grow. And, and lastly, Kevin, uh, later this week, the Rules Committee is going to meet. There's a chance they could push the three-point line to the international distance. Uh, how would that affect the game if that happens? I, think it's gonna I think it's gonna open up driving lanes much more it's gonna be harder to play to play zone 
I don't think they're going to move the lane. I wish they would have moved the lane out a little bit to kind of make the freedom of movement a little bit better. Uh, but I think that, I think pushing the three-point line back with the size that these kids are now and as experienced as these kids are, uh, I just think it's going to open up the game and just let their talent kind of shine through even more. Kevin, appreciate it. And uh, I know we'll be checking uh, on you guys to see what Miles does uh, over the next couple of weeks. Thanks. I appreciate it, Andy. Always great being with you. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. As always, you can find our podcast at NCAA.com and all our social media handles at Handle March Madness on Twitter and Facebook. And we always appreciate you downloading this podcast, continuing to listen. We are all year round covering college basketball. As always, thanks for listening. March Madness 365 with Andy Katz, presented by Grammarly. AI seems to be all over the place, but with so many options on the market, how do you know what is good for you and your business? AI is no longer a plaything. It's a business imperative. Companies that already use AI for writing are making gains. If you want to beat the competition, you need an AI writing partner you can trust. One that will help you generate not just more content, but better. Grammarly saves your company from miscommunication and all the wasted time and money that goes with it. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that gives your team an instant first draft or the perfect last word written in the company voice and tailored to their audience and goals. When every doc, message, and email your team writes is clear, compliant, and on brand, everything gets better. Inbox numbers drop, customer satisfaction scores rise, and companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly, easier said, done.